Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, guys. October 26th, Thursday, October 26th. Going to have on John Reinigle from San Antonio breaking down Victor Wembanyama's start to the season, Spurs season ahead. We've been getting to some Dallas Cowboys talk. We even talked some more NBA as well. Awesome, awesome conversation with him. Great time. Had a really fun time. But guys, I want to start off with the World Series. World Series is set. Rangers, Diamondbacks, just like we all drew it up. I do want to talk about this weird ACLS and NCLS we had, guys. Rangers started out really hot. Astros did come back, gave them a little bit of a scare, but Rangers were able to ultimately come away and, you know, head to the fall classic. Phillies also started out hot, but Diamondbacks were actually able to come back and win the series, went down 0-2. So I want to get, I want to start with the Rangers-Astros series first. Rangers an amazing team right now, hitting so, so well. Astros couldn't get it done, couldn't get the comeback done. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on the Rangers and you know their prospect of going into the World Series in light of how they played uh, in this recent ACLS. Well, this is the series of the road teams. Every the road team was seven and zero in this series. The road team won all seven games between the Astros and the Rangers, and the Rangers were able to come out on top. Yeah, that's the second time, by the way, in four years, I believe, that the Astros have been involved in one of these series because they did the same thing against the Nationals where the road team won every game in that series as well. It turned out Houston, in both cases, had the home field disadvantage. And you look at what happened with the Rangers, Arolas Garcia. I mean, he got plunked in Game 5 because the Astros had no other way to get him out. Six straight games with an RBI, was hitting homer after homer, totally destroyed this Astros pitching staff. The Rangers scored 20 runs in the last two games of this series, in Game 6 and Game 7. Their bats are phenomenal. There's no easy out in that lineup. They were just able to destroy Astros pitching. And, you know, Max Scherzer showed up in Game 7. He wasn't great by any means, but he held on to that lead while the Rangers got off to a fast start. And very impressive to see Texas be able to come on the road and be able to win a Game 7 off to the World Series. Bruce Bochy now in his last five postseason appearances, this is the fourth time that he's going to the World Series. Of course, he won the previous three in San Francisco. We'll see if he can do it now as a member of the Rangers. And I think the Rangers are now the franchise that have gone the longest outside of the Cleveland uh, Indians slash Guardians. I think the Rangers are now the one that has had the longest World Series drought. They've never won one. Uh, They haven't won one since 1924 when they were the Washington Senators. They've never won one in Texas. I think they've got a good chance to win it this time. Yeah, I was when Max Scherzer was pitching on uh, you know the last game, Game Seven. I was so so scared for the Rangers. I mean, he has such a bad playoff experience. We already we talked about that already, you know, in prior shows. But yeah, I mean, when he went out. You know, I thought that was going to be a big, big time Astros advantage. Like I said, just with how he's been playing in the playoffs over the past, uh, you know, the past couple of years. Um, Astros starting pitcher Christian Javier got pulled after only 23 pitches, and uh, that was, you know, obviously a lot of thanks to a Corey Seager bomb to the right center field and uh, just the barrage of Rangers hits to really begin uh, Game Seven. They finished the top of the first. I mean, they finished their, their first inning with three runs, and Astros just weren't able to come back and. Yeah, like I said, nobody would have thought the Rangers were going to make the World Series this year, uh, especially not a Rangers-Timing-Pack matchup. And uh, it 
just goes to show you anything can happen uh, in baseball, just make the playoffs, and then it's kind of uh, we'll see what happens from there. But speaking of that, other flip of the coin, Diamondbacks, like I said, are the team that is facing the Rangers in the World Series. Corbin Carroll lights out in Game 7, helped Diamondbacks uh, win at the bank, win in Philadelphia, and like I said, led his team uh to, to the big game uh, starting this uh, tomorrow. Well, this is a very scrappy Diamondbacks team, very young, scrappy Diamondbacks team with the two pitchers starting in that rotation with Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen. Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly and Brandon Fott with a good outing against the Phillies as well. I mean, this is on the Phillies to lose this series with the managerial decisions by Rob Thompson and the bats going cold after game two with the Phillies. And they the Phillies really have a long look at themselves this offseason. They need help in the bullpen, and they need starting pitching. Their lineup is good. Their lineup is good. Rojas being the only automatic out for the Phillies is probably, the, is probably not the right guy in center field. I mean, good defensively. But maybe the Phillies do call yeah. up the center fielder mm-hmm. or maybe even a left fielder next year. But I think they have the right lineup. But the managerial decisions, the discipline was not there. And the pitching staff, they got to get better pitching. Zach Wheeler's an ace. Ranger Suarez, good pitcher, maybe a number three or number four. But Aaron Nola is probably going to be on the move in the offseason. Likely, likely not. But... They need to get better pitching. And Taiwan Walker and Michael Lorenzen, where were they this postseason? Where were Lorenzen and, and Walker? I mean, I they were you paid a lot of money for Taiwan Walker, four years, $72 million, and Lorenzen threw a no-hitter, and yeah. he got him at the deadline. I don't know what the Phillies were thinking to not use those guys in the playoffs. But if the Phillies don't want to use them, they need to go out and get starting yeah. pitching this offseason and in the bullpen as well. I mean, you can't really – the hitting – the lineup can make the difference. But really, what I'm seeing this postseason, what I'm seeing with baseball in general, you need to build your team around starting pitching, and the Phillies should yeah. take a long look at that. I would argue the lineup did let the Phillies down in the last two games. They scored a grand total of three runs. Trey Turner, Nick Castellanos, Bryce Harper. These guys combined to go one for 29. That's just not good enough. And this is a team that was up 2-0, dominated the series, and they really had a chance to kind of put things on ice in game three. They let that get away. They were able to win game five. You come back to the bank, you got to finish off that series. And when you give up five runs and four runs, as good as their lineup is, you think that should probably be enough at least to win one of those two games, and they just didn't do it because they stopped hitting. And this is a team that was very reliant on the home run throughout the entire postseason. Well, that's very fickle, and if you can't hit home runs, then where are you going to go to hit the ball in other facets? Like, they're not hitting singles, doubles. Like, you got to find ways to get on base that aren't just hit the ball out of the ballpark, and the Phillies were not able to do that in the last two games. Full credit to Arizona, but this felt like the Phillies gave this away more than the Diamondbacks won it. Yeah, Castellanos and Harper didn't even get a hit in Game 7. They were both two, I mean, especially Castellanos, they were two people that were absolutely explosive all playoff long. Do you guys think, I mean, this is one of the worst uh, series losses in uh, Phillies uh, history. I mean, not history, that might be a little too extreme, but I mean, you think, like you said, Zach, they were explosive the first two games. They were explosively they were explosive leading up to the NLCS, 
And then, you know, those last three, four games, they just completely fell apart. I think what the problem with Philly is, and I know a lot of people say this as well, is they can't play from behind. If Philly gets behind, even even 1-0 um, hole, they have such a hard time coming back. It showed that in Game 7. It showed that in some other games in the NLCS as well. Philly's a team that really needs to go. Uh, they, they have to come out hot. They have to come out up top and you know if they don't do that they have a they have a really hard time coming back yeah this this is definitely going to be one of the worst series losses in in the franchise history hitting like you said justin hitting is fine offense is fine uh starting pitching has to get a little bit better and their outfield defense um could definitely have an improvement as well but uh thursday night football preview guys buccaneers bills is this a um must win for the Bills coming off uh, such a bad loss last week. I mean, already lost three games this year, of course. Patriots last week, Jaguars, and then the Jets in the beginning of the season as well. They can't afford to, you know, go, you know, four losses uh, only this early into the season. And, you know, especially with the stacked AFC and then, you know, their division as well in general in the AFC East. What do you guys think about this game? Is this a must-win, bounce-back win for the Bills? I would I would say so. I would actually say so. Maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. I think that the Bills have been a very disappointing team so far this year. I hate the term must-win games unless it's for the playoff race, unless it's November or December, something along those lines. No, this is not a must-win game, but it's a one that you'd really like to have game because the Bills really do need a bounce back after losing to the Patriots. And you're playing at home against a Tampa team that they're not very explosive offensively. This should be a game that the Bills should handle. And if they don't, then we got some serious problems. And I think the problem with the Bills is they don't really have a running game. They've never had one under Josh Allen. And if your running game is relying on your quarterback, 6'5 quarterback, hurdling guys and running over people, then that is a big problem. And James Cook, he's a fine running back, can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he's not a number one go-to guy. Devin Singletary was never that And outside of Stephon Diggs, they really don't have the offensive weaponry you would expect out of this team. So is it a must-win? No, it is not a must-win because must-win games don't happen this early in the season. But they really need to get this back on track. Uh, At what point does uh, Buffalo start to be concerned with Josh Allen's interceptions, though? Josh Allen, has he's thrown an interception in four of his five games, last five games, entering tonight's matchup against the Buccaneers. I mean, what, at what point, guys, did we start to be worried about Josh Allen? I mean, obviously, puts up amazing stat line. Stat lines is amazing to watch. I test. He's a really good quarterback, obviously, gets the job done. But it is concerning his interceptions that he has, and it, it actually ends up costing uh, the Bills a lot of games. I don't know. That just seems to be his style of play. I mean, that's what he's done ever since he came in the league. He's a high-risk, high-reward kind of player. And, yeah, they've got to find a way to tinker down those interceptions. He cannot throw the ball away that many times. It single-handedly lost the game against the Jets. Uh, Help contribute to them losing against the Patriots. He's got to do a better job taking care of the ball. But Josh Allen, at this point of his career, he is what he is. I mean, you know what you're signing up for when you have him as your starting quarterback. You're going to get a lot of great plays, and you're going to have moments where your offense looks unstoppable, and then he's going to have a couple of just bad decisions that lead to turnovers, and you wonder how in the hell he became a starting quarterback to begin with. So I just don't know if there's any changing who he is at this point. you got to live with the bad and accept the good. Yeah, I, I it's going to be a close game. I'm definitely predicting a, a close game in this game. It's going to be, I, pre, I think, pretty high scoring, a lot of offense. Uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay has like one of the worst rushing attacks in the entire league. Josh Allen, we know, throws the ball a lot. Uh, Baker Mayfield's going to have to throw the ball a lot to keep up with him. And like I said, their their rushing game is is not that great either. So I, I definitely expect a lot of offense, a lot of the 
the ball is going to be in the air a lot tonight. And uh, yeah, it should be, it should come down to the very end. Uh, you know, a, a sneaky, good Thursday night football game. College football. Let's move on to college football week nine. Uh, closest game, as we always do. Most intriguing storylines, surprises, shootouts, snoozers. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your closest game this week, college football week nine slate? Ooh, this is a good one. I'm going to say the closest game of the week is going to be Tennessee at Kentucky. I think when you look at Tennessee coming off that loss against Alabama, when they were the better team throughout much of that game, they led 20-7 to at halftime, and then their offense really bogged down the second half, some questionable coaching decisions. Joe Milton really didn't get the job done. Now you're going up against a Kentucky team that's coming off a bye week, coming off back-to-back losses, and if there's ever a time for them to circle the wagons and have a big game, this is the it for them. I think Devin Leary has to be better. I think they've got to be able to get back and run the football, which Tennessee's been vulnerable against throughout the course of the season. Tennessee's only a three-point road favorite. It's a primetime game up in Lexington. I think this is going to be the closest game of the week. I'm going to go Oregon-Utah for my closest game of the week. Oregon has been playing well all season, we know. But we all know how Utah played last week, though, against USC. Awesome game. They, they're definitely an underrated team, like you said, Zach. Uh, their coach definitely hypes up his guys to play really big games. They always do play big games, and this is just another one of them coming up this weekend against Oregon. Matchup to watch will be Oregon's defense against or Oregon's offense against against Utah's defense. Uh, Bo Nix and the Ducks can definitely do a lot of on offense. We already know that, but Utah's defense has allowed uh, their opponents a total of 546 yards on the ground and seven touchdowns by way of the ground so far this year. That's up, that's up there as one of the least in the league. Uh, their Utah's defense has tallied four fumble recoveries and seven interceptions so far this year as well. Oregon's definitely going to have their hands full. I mean, Utah's defense is not uh, something to mess around with. And we all saw, uh, you know, last week against USC, Kelly Williams, they can put up some points too. So, yeah, this is going to be a fun matchup. I'm, I'm really excited. This, I'm, I'm excited to see it this Saturday. Um, Justin, what is your... Uh, closest game of the week. Closest game of the week, I got Louisville hosting Duke. 20th ranked Duke at 18th ranked Louisville. I think this is going to be a very close game, probably even high scoring. I think this is, I think this is going to be probably in the 20s or 30s. Zach, what's your most intriguing storyline? Yeah, intriguing storylines, the Oregon-Utah game. I think this is a fascinating matchup. You look at Oregon, I still think this is a playoff contender, even with the loss against Washington last week or a couple weeks ago. Bo Nix, I think, is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. This Oregon team is more physical than people realize. This isn't your Chip Kelly run-and-gun, up-tempo offense. This is a physical team. Dan Lanning has brought what he was successful at with Georgia up to Eugene, Oregon. I think this is a very good team, and they're going up against a Utah team coming off that big win against USC, and Utah is one of those teams that you may beat them, but you're going to feel it. They are going to bruise you. They are going to beat you up. I think this is a low-scoring, physical kind of game, and I think if Utah had Cam rising, I think Utah would have a better chance to win this game, but the winner of this game stays in the mix for the Pac-12 title. The loser is almost certainly out of the mix. We think Washington's going to be there at the end of the year. We've seen now USC bleed after losing against Utah. So this almost in many ways becomes a Pac-12 championship elimination game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Rice-Eccles Stadium, one of the most underrated atmospheres in all of college football. I think there's no doubt this is the game of the week. My most intriguing storyline is I want to see how far Colorado can slide. Uh, last time they took the field, obviously we all know they got embarrassed uh, by Stanford. They had the 29-0 lead at halftime and then ultimately ended up losing 46-43 <laughs> in double overtime. Uh, started the season off 3-0. Uh, had three wins against a bad TCU team, bad Nebraska team for sure, and then an overachieving 
Colorado State team. Uh, since then, they had ten. They had two straight losses. Two weeks ago, when they took the field last, they they got beat by Stanford pretty bad, and they barely beat Arizona State, uh, one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. So, yeah, my question is, you know, how how much does uh, Colorado slide this weekend? They play you. Uh, they play um, number twenty-three UCLA in California. Yeah, I just want to see uh, if they can have any kind of bounce back, and God forbid they lose again, or in, you know, even get blown away. We'll we'll see what the narrative would be uh, after this weekend. Justin, what is your most intriguing storyline? Most intriguing storyline, I would go back to Oregon and Utah. I think this is going to be a very high scoring game. This is probably going to be the matchup of the week here for sure, and I think it should be. I think it should be more of a Primetime game instead of a 3.30 game. That's a story for another time. But I think this is but this is going to be a very big game. Utah's defense is ranked 14th. Not a terrible defense, but they did get to Caleb Williams and USC. And then, <clears throat> and then the offense for Utah, I think, will we'll have a big game against Oregon's defense. I think this is going to be a clash of the Titans game this week in college football. Moving on, Zach, what is your upset alert of the week? Yeah, I got Utah over USC last week, um, but this week I'm going to go back to another top 10 team, and I'm going to say Oklahoma against Kansas is my upset alert. I think Jason Bean, the Kansas quarterback, 410 yards, five touchdowns against Oklahoma State last time we saw him in action. Oklahoma last week struggled against UCF. They struggled with a lot of the misdirection, struggled with John Rice Plumley and his ability to run the football. Oklahoma beat Texas, but it's a team that's had their struggles against Cincinnati, had their struggles against UCF, and this is going to be one of the biggest home games in Kansas history. I think Lance Leipold's one of the best coaches in all of college football. Kansas' defense has been better than people realize. I don't know if Kansas wins the game, but Oklahoma is currently a 10-point favorite, and that line's moving down. I think Kansas has a real chance to take this game in the fourth quarter, maybe have a drive to go down and win the game potentially at the end. So I'm putting Oklahoma on upset alert. My upset alert is Arizona against Oregon State. Oregon State only lost this season, came to a thriller against Washington State. We all know Arizona demolished uh, Washington State, though, 44-6. Uh, so last week, Arizona demolished them 44-6. In that game, Arizona dropped 516 yards with 342 passing on the road. Noah Fafita has been playing out of his mind since getting the start for Arizona. Their run game is absolutely elite. Rashawn Luke, 10 rushes for 71 yards last week against Washington State. And Jonah Coleman, 11 rushes, 70 yards, and 3 touchdowns. I expect Arizona to pull off a massive upset this weekend against Oregon State. I got uh, I got Tennessee and Kentucky. I think this is going to be a very close game, and I would say Tennessee is going is probably going to ups, is probably going to win this week. We'll just continue with you, Zach. What's your shootout of the week? Uh, shootout of the week. Oklahoma, Kansas, I think could be a candidate for that. I'm going to say shootout of the week is going to be Colorado UCLA. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. I look at UCLA, their offense is, I think, underrated. Dante Moore started to come into his own. They really run the football effectively. UCLA, number three in the Pac-12 in rushing yards per game. And the one thing we know about Colorado is they're going to score. We know Shadur Sanders. Now Travis Hunter's had an extra week to get healthy. They are going to put points on the board. I don't know if they're going to be able to stop UCLA, but I think that's going to be a shootout at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, you mentioned Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Kansas. That's going to be my shootout of the week. 
Uh, Oklahoma, fourth-ranked scoring offense in the country. Kansas, uh, 21st-ranked scoring offense in the country. Both teams kind of struggled last week. I mean, Sooners were able to, you know, squeak away a victory against USF, or UCF, excuse me, and then Jayhawks uh, actually did end up losing to Oklahoma State. Neither, neither of those results were because of the offenses. It was their defenses that kind of let them down. Dylan Gabriel for the Sooners is uh, leading his team on that offensive front. Uh for the year, over to 2,100 yards of total offense, 19 touchdowns with three interceptions. Like I said, he's a he's a Heisman contender. I think uh, after last week, I think he was uh, fifth in Heisman voting. Dylan Gable should even be higher. We talked about that last week as well on the show, kind of being under the radar as far as the Heisman voting goes, and definitely definitely going to be a name to watch going down the going down the uh, going down the season, especially if he continues to play the way that he's playing now. Um, Justin, what is your shootout of the week? Going to go right back to Salt Lake City with Utah hosting Oregon. Bo Nix has had an impressive year for Oregon, throwing 19 touchdowns and only one interception. And Bryson Barnes, too, at quarterback for Utah. I think he's going to be a very underrated matchup, as I said. I expect this to be a very high-scoring shootout. Okay, snoozer of the week. Zach, what is your snoozer of the week? Snoozer of the week is going to be Indiana-Penn State. I think Indiana is about to feel the wrath of Penn State's frustration against Ohio State last week. They're a 32-point favorite. Indiana's offense can barely move the ball across the street. Penn State's offense is better than what they showed last week against Ohio State. and I, I'm not sure Indiana is going to score against that Penn State defense. It's one of the best in all of college football. It's a noon game in Happy Valley. I think Indiana's wrong place, wrong time. Penn State is going to dominate that game. Okay, uh, my snoozer of the week, Purdue, Nebraska. Purdue, definitely not a good offensive team either. Uh, has been disappointing all year, really. Um, two wins against Virginia Tech and Illinois. Both teams have struggled to move the ball all season. QBs have struggled uh, to not commit turnovers. I mean, Card, he has five, five interceptions on the league. Uh, Harbor, he has four interceptions as well. Uh both offenses cannot move the ball down the field. They're so sluggish, so anemic to watch. And, uh, yeah, this game is going to be pretty low scoring. It's going to be a close game, but it's going to be low scoring overall. Um, I don't really have much else to really say about this. But, Justin, what is your snoozer of the week? I got Florida State and Wake Forest. I think this is going to be a blowout for Florida State over Wake Forest. Not a great, not the best game, obviously. I think Jordan Travis is going to have a very big game for Florida State. And they'll shut down Wake Forest. Guys, NBA is back. I do want to touch, briefly touch on the NBA. It started Tuesday. Uh, Sixers open up their season tonight against the Bucks, And I'm concerned about this game tonight uh, when the Sixers open up their series against the Bucks. Yeah, I would be concerned too because I think the Bucks might be the best team in the NBA because you got Dame Lillard and you got Giannis on the same roster. You got Chris Middleton. I think this is probably the deepest team in the NBA right now considering they didn't have to give up a whole lot for Dame. I just wonder if the Sixers' window has passed them by because right now I think the Bucks and the Celtics are pretty established as the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. I expect Milwaukee to look pretty good tonight. I do too. I think Milwaukee's going to gonna just blow them out. Maybe not blow them out, but I think Milwaukee's going to have a big game tonight. Dane Lillard, obviously his home debut with Giannis and everybody for the Bucks. The Sixers, James Harden is once again just going to, you know, just going to hamstring this team with all the distractions on and off the court. And, I mean, can't get rid of him already. Got to trade him. <laughs> no one wants him, I don't think. And nobody wants him, too. <laughs> no, definitely not. Other big game tonight, Suns-Lakers. Both teams' second game 
Bob Kemp had him on last week uh, talking about the um, Suns and the expectations. Fan base uh, championship are bust for the Suns. They are expecting the Suns to go all the way and win the title. Uh, opener, they played Golden State at uh, in Golden State. One beat them 108-104 in a nail-biter, and now they play a Lakers team who comes into the league having expectations. What do we think about this game, guys? And most importantly, just speaking of NBA being back, I mean, what do we think about the Suns' outlook rest of the season and their potential to, you know, you know, make it to the finals? You know, of course, if the team stays health- healthy. Yeah, it's the first time since 2018 that Kevin Durant and LeBron will actually play against each other, which is surprising at this point. But I think the Suns are as good as anybody in the Western Conference. I think they're a little bit deeper than they were a year ago. I think adding Bradley Beal is going to be a big acquisition for this team. And we saw Devin Booker go off in the clutch against Golden State on Tuesday. That combination with him, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, that might be the best big three in the NBA. And I think the Suns, as I mentioned, there's a little bit more depth with this team. Eric Gordon, I think, is a big boost coming off the bench for them. I think the Suns right now are not the favorites in the West, but they might be co-favorites with the Nuggets. And then the Lakers, their story of their season is going to be Anthony Davis. We know what we're getting out of LeBron, and I know he had a minutes restriction the other night. I don't know if that's going to continue throughout the entire season, but if Anthony Davis doesn't show up like he didn't against uh, Denver on Tuesday, the Lakers are not going to go anywhere. You know, he was 0 for 6 in the second half. That's just not good enough. He's got to be better. NBA season doesn't really start until <laughs> until Christmas. That's right. Uh, especially beginning of the year. You know, a lot of the teams are still kind of trying to find their footing. All the new players still trying to figure out how to work together, how to play together. So I'm still, it's still nice just to have something on. I mean, I mean, that's for the longest time now. Obviously, we've been in the summer for a long time. And uh, for the longest time, all we've, ha- all we've had on every single night was baseball. So it's nice to be seeing something else on when football is not on. Let's move on to complaintives of the week, guys. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your complaintives of the week? NFL officiating. Get it together. My Colts were completely robbed against the Cleveland Browns with two incompetent calls down the stretch. That was not illegal contact because it did not redirect the wide receiver on a strip sack by EJ Speed. The game would have been over at that point. Colts win 38-33. That should not have been called. And then the very next play, there's a pass interference call on a ball that Victor Wembeyama could not have caught. That ball was closer to the guy in the stands than it was to anybody on the field. And that's, they called it pass interference on a ball that was clearly uncatchable. Kenny Pickett gets ruled to have a first down on a fourth and one where he clearly did not get the first down. The Rams couldn't challenge it because they didn't have any timeouts. It should not be up to the Rams to have timeouts. It should be up to the officials to get that call right. And then we saw the missed face mask in this, the Dolphins-Eagles game. Officiating is a problem in this league. It's a problem across all football. And it seems like every week we're talking about at least one game that is dramatically impacted by the officiating, and it needs to be better. I don't know if it needs to be full-time officials. I don't know if we just need to revamp the entire system, but this is costing teams by the week. The NFL stands for not for long because people are going to get fired because officials can't do their jobs. It's it's more like the consistency. Like It's, too, it's, it's open too much to uh, subjectivity, the refs. It's not really a clear... Um, what should be, I mean, it is technically in the rule books, it is clear what should be called and what shouldn't be called, but there's still so much gray area in between those in, in the, in the rule book. And it's just, that's, what's going to con- getting people very frustrated, especially when it, uh, leads to decisions on games. Well, I have an idea for my complainatives and I'm, I mean, I'll talk about my complainatives 
but about it is about refing and, and umpires and pretty much it's almost an idea but and and it's coming kind of coming from baseball we'll go first I'll, I'll go after you then so my complainatives are robot umpires should not we should not go to robot umps I know the, the major league umps were not great this postseason and I know the strike zone they put the strike zone up during games which is kind of bogus, to be honest. They weren't doing all the strike zones 15 years ago, even you know less than five years ago, 10 years ago. Shouldn't put up the strike zone during games. Should not. And, and robot umps, what's next? Robot refs in the NFL, robot refs in the NBA or the NHL. Should not. I mean, I, I think, sure, there's, should, should there be reform? With all the refs and, and, and umpires, there could. There, there is some room for reform and, you know, room for revamping. But I don't think that we should go to robot umpires and then, you know, robot refs, obviously, in, in football, basketball, and hockey. I think that the whole robot, the robot umpires thing and the strike zone during games, I think that's too much. I think that needs to go backward. I, I, I think they need to take it out of the... Take it out off the TV. I think it would work in baseball. I think it would, I, I don't. I actually do think uh, you know robotic you know umpire could potentially work. Football would be really hard. Regardless, I mean, people are going to complain if it's a real person or if it's a robot. And the thing with having a real person is it gives fans something to complain about, which is what fans ultimately want. So yeah, I I do think that. That that's I mean that as you just said there, uh, Jared. I mean there there should be you know people are going to complain either way if the umpires or or the refs I mean make the wrong calls. And yeah, it's it, and yeah, has officiating been the best? No, it hasn't. Yeah. I don't think, and I don't think we do. And and I also think we need to stop with this whole oh everything's scripted. There's no script. Yeah, you can't script sports. The way I look at it, in my opinion, I think people would be more okay with bad calls that are consistent than getting calls right the, every single time. Like they try to do now in every sport, they try to get calls perfect every single time, which is not a, obviously not a bad thing. But I think people in general would be more okay with bad calls, uh, but on it, but they were consistent than you know, like I said, trying so hard to you know read between the lines of the rule books and get everything exactly to the T because I think that's kind of leading to inconsistency and that's what's making the fans. Um, yeah, really, really mad. My complaint over the week has nothing to really do with refing per se. A little bit of technology maybe though. Uh, Michigan football uh, scandal, the, cheat, uh, the cheating scandal. Obviously we know Connor Stallions came out last week. Uh, don't really know what he is. Not Still trying to figure out, still investigating if he was a coach, if he was a, a scout, if he was a, you know, a staffer. We don't really know exactly what he was. There's a lot of more of a investigation that's going on. This looks really bad for Michigan, though. It looks like a pretty uh, slam-dunk case of sign-stealing. Michigan is coming out saying that they did it the legal way and that no illegal technology was used. Um, however, those pictures of Stallions on the sideline uh, holding laminated sheets of pictures uh, over you know over the years, he's been talking to uh, the defensive coordinator. He's been talking to other coaches. There's been pictures of him interacting with the coaching staff. So a lot of speculation is coming out that he actually was a coach. Uh, I think uh, last year he bought tickets for more than 30 games, 
many of them were t- uh, Big Ten games, but like I said, Michigan is uh, refusing to acknowledge, obviously, any illegal technology or anything illegal did happen. Um, but yeah, this is, looks bad for Michigan, especially g- given the dominance that they've had over the last two years to get to where they are. Uh, this would be a pretty bad look, and obviously a lot of uh, investigation and research is still going on by the NCAA and the, and the Big Ten. But yeah, um, looks like a slam dunk case of sign stealing, and we'll, we'll just see we'll just see what happens, and we'll see what kind of comes out of all of this. Okay, guys, let's get on um, to John Renegal uh, from San Antonio. ESPN 94.1, going to talk to him, break down Wembenyama's debut yesterday with the Spurs, talk more Spurs, season ahead, how they'll do, what their expectations are, and some more NBA as well. So great interview with him. And without further ado, let's head on to uh, Texas and talk to Joe. Okay, we now bring on Joe Reinigal from ESPN 94.1. Uh, the star in San Antonio, also 25 years at Ken's 5 CBS. Joe, awesome to have you on. Got to talk some Spurs. Got to get some uh, Cowboys, too, who you know pretty well as well throughout your throughout your years in San Antonio there. I do want to touch base with the Spurs first. Women Yama first. First uh, professional game. I mean, first regular season game last night. Obviously, they did come mm-hmm. in a loss, unfortunately, yep. 126 to, uh, to 119. They did come in a loss to Dallas. But... Take me through what the fans are saying, the initial knee-jerk reactions from his performance, how he did, and what the outlook of the fans are thinking going forward for this team. I mean, playing, you know, would be nice. I mean, what are they thinking? What are the fans thinking after this first performance and, you know, things that they did in the offseason? Well, after the first performance, the fans are saying the referees are horrible. That's what they're saying. Obviously, they're fans, right? So that's what they're going to say. It can't be uh, Wimbanyama's fault. I heard a lot of that during the game and then after the game as well. But, uh, you know, that's something he's going to have to adjust to, right? I mean, he's a rookie. Everybody thought coming into this game that uh, he was just going to be on fire, right? He was going to 25, 15, five blocks, all of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the NBA is a different beast. It really is than anything he's ever done. So uh, it's going to take an adjustment period for him, as talented as he is, Uh, He's going to have to learn those nuances, like the officials, the way they're calling the basketball game. He's got to adjust to that, and I think he will. And I don't think it's going to take him a long time. But the fans are are super excited. I mean, last night for the first time, and I've been covering the Spurs for, gosh, almost 30 years. I have never seen, even in their glory days with Tim Duncan, uh, standing room only seats. And last night they were selling standing room only seats. Uh, at the new Frost Bank Center. So uh, everybody's excited about this guy and, and, and hoping that he is all that's advertised, and I think he will be. Yeah, I know uh, Kendrick Perkins came on uh, a couple weeks ago on ESPN, obviously. He was saying that uh, Webin Yama is going to win the Defensive Player of the Year. I know, I know, like you said last night, he still has to get his feet wet, still has to get comfortable on the court, obviously. But do you think he has the potential to win Defensive Player of the Year? And kind of a plus, I mean, a follow-up to that kind of question, same, same avenue. Like, do you, what do you think is going to be more uh, beneficial on the court, his defense or his offense? I think it's his defense, but is that also what you think, what the fans think as well? Well, obviously it's going to be very difficult for anybody, especially in the paint, if he's in there, um, you know, just just because of his length. During the preseason, I saw something that, that it was pretty unbelievable, and a lot of people can – uh, you know, can point out things that were, were crazy and what this guy can do. But he actually got beat on a play. And I think this was a game before the last one against Golden State. But he got beat. Guy went around him, 
thought he had an easy layup and and Wimby comes in and blocks the shot he recovers very well and I think with his length and quickness and knowledge of the game I think you're going to see that a lot he will get beat at times but he's got that ability to recover very quickly uh and so defensively I think that's going to be something that's going to be very difficult for the uh, opposing teams to get over what Happened last night. Obviously, foul trouble changed a lot of things. And I think as we go through the next several games, you're going to see Greg Popovich change some things and experiment. But I I didn't see Victor in the paint a lot. Uh, He seemed to stay in the corner. uh, And and I think it's just a feeling out process. But I think you'll see him move in a little bit, especially when uh, on the defensive side of the of the ball. Popovich, Greg Popovich has got so many options when it comes to Wimby. It's it's incredible. And I think for this first month, maybe two, you're going to see a lot of different starting lineups. You're going to see a lot of different, uh, different things that he can do. And I think he's really looking forward to that because he has such a versatile player uh, in Wimby. But again, I think people need to be a little bit patient with this guy because with all the hype, Everybody expects the moon, and I think we'll get there, but I think it's going to take some time before we do. But certainly, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, all of those things are in reach. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. He can he has potential to block shots on the perimeter from within the paint. I mean, that's in, I mean, just within a matter of a second, he has a chance to be able to get out there and with his with his reach and you know seven foot four frame, obviously. So yeah, it's amazing to watch. I'm excited to see him throughout the season how he progresses as a, as a defensive player and what Pop ends up doing with him. Last year, Spurs last in the Western Conference, 22 wins, 60 losses. What are I mean? Obviously, one guy can't. Well, it's basketball. You can argue one guy can do it all, actually, but and make a big difference. But what are the fans' expectations this year for, for the Spurs uh, going forward? You know, it's it's really kind of mixed. Obviously, everybody, and, and we were talking about this yesterday, but uh, and, and kind of making our predictions as to win totals. Um, you know, some people are, are as, uh, as high as 45 to 50 wins. Some are down in the 30s. Uh, so it just depends. I think Wimby can make a difference. There's no question about it. Uh, but what I'm impressed with and what I think will get the Spurs more wins than, uh, than certainly than they had last year was the fact that he's such an unselfish player. Maybe he needs to be a little more selfish, and I think he'll learn that, and I think Pop will teach him that as we go on. But this guy has uh, a unique skill set, unselfishness, whatever you want to call it, but he gets everybody else involved. Um, you saw that a lot during the preseason. And again, last night's kind of an anomaly because – well, he wasn't on the floor all that all that much. But he's going to get other guys involved because obviously the defense is going to collapse on him. They're going to pay a lot of attention to him. You saw a little bit of that last night. Um, and it's going to leave other guys open. Devin Vassell is going to be a big beneficiary of Victor Wimbanyama. And I think Devin Vassell is going to be a star in this league. And I think it's going to be this year. Other guys need to uh, take advantage of that. Keldon Johnson's another guy that needs to take advantage of that. Zach Collins. I think is going to be a huge beneficiary of Victor Wimbanyama. And I think we saw a little taste of that last night. But I think as we move through the season, uh, you're going to see more of that. Fourth quarter last night, you guys watching the game, and, and that's kind of where we saw, um, I think, the expectations of what he can be. It just seemed like the Spurs, and again, the foul trouble changes a lot of things. But it, I, I think Pop in particular was, and all of these guys, it's a feeling out process. And uh, I, this, the evolution of what this Spurs team can be is going to be so much fun to watch. But 
Um, you know, if you're, if you're looking 30, 40 wins, I think that might be a high bar for this ball club. But who knows? If Wimby takes off and catches fire and plays the way everybody expects, you never know. How are the expectations for Greg Popovich this year as head coach? Well, I think the expectations for him are, are, are sky high. And I think he's excited. Um, you know, Pop for so long, everybody calls him the greatest coach in NBA history, but he's always had those players. And when he had the, the players of the dynasty Spurs uh, with uh, Tim, Tony, and Manu, I mean, you know, there, there was some coaching, yeah, but, you know, I mean, those guys are, are pretty good, and they know what, the, what they're doing. You let them go out and you let them play. Pop, over the last couple of years, has had an opportunity to actually coach, and, and I think that's rejuvenated him. And then, obviously, the Spurs get lucky for the third time, which is great. Uh, luckiest franchise on the planet, as far as I'm concerned, which is, which is great for us in San Antonio. But having a guy like Victor Wimbanyama gives Greg Popovich just like a, a, a blank slate. I mean, he's got an opportunity now to paint all kinds of different pictures, different starting lineups, how he can use this guy. And I think you're going to see that, especially over the next several weeks, and several games, uh, just different things that he's going to be able to do. So I think the expectations for Pop are high. And I've heard across the country that um, actually Victor Wimbanyama won the lottery as well. You know, coming to a place like San Antonio and having a coach like Greg Popovich uh, is, is really a benefit to him as well. I'm not saying he wouldn't succeed anywhere else, but having Greg Popovich and the stability of uh, this San Antonio franchise is huge for him. So I think the expectations for Pop are huge, uh, and I can't wait to see what he does. Last night was a little bit weird, I thought, until the fourth quarter, and they started using Wimby a little bit more. But uh, uh, I think Pop's going to be just fine, and he's going to make the most out of this kid. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely used to working with French players too, so <laughs> that's for yeah, sure. Yeah. The Spurs definitely have had their fair share of uh, dominant French players. What um He is going to be 74 this year, though. I mean, Bad timing to ask this question. Obviously, just getting a superstar like Wemby, but any rumblings of like him, you know, retiring anytime soon? He's getting up there in age. Obviously, still pretty, you know, a very, very good coach. But any rumblings of him like kind of just slowing down, like maybe taking a more of a, you know, assistant role or anything like anything of that nature? Just getting getting his age, getting how old he's he's getting. I think that would have happened had they not gotten lucky again with Wemby. But Pop just signed a new contract. Uh, so the Spurs are on the hook with him for at least another five years if he chooses to stay there. Um, you know, the, the talk was that Pop was going to retire after Tim Duncan retired. And obviously he didn't do that. I think he, he embraced the challenge of, uh, you know, building a new team without a guy like Tim Duncan. And he tried to do that with the trade of Kawhi Leonard. That didn't work out. DeMar DeRozan coming in, that, that really didn't work out either. So they finally decided just to say, we're going to start from the bottom and, and, and build up. And I think that's rejuvenated Pop's career. Um, you know, it's sad to say, but, I, you know, Pop's wife died a few years ago. And I think uh, that in itself has spurred him to continue on because I think, you know, that keeps him occupied, gives him something to do. Uh, not that he couldn't find something, but, but for Greg Popovich, basketball is his life. Uh, he loves the San Antonio Spurs, and and they're going to let him coach as long as he wants to. He's the guy that's going to say it's it's time to ride away, and and I don't see that happening over the next two, three, four, five years. Yeah, I mean, you, he looked 
just even in the off season, you could tell he looked so much more revitalized. You, he he looked a lot more energy, a lot more happier. He had a lot of expectations and excitement coming into this team. Um, I want to go back to the question I asked a little bit earlier, though, about what the expectations are for the Spurs this year. That's the expectations, but an interesting question I want to ask is, what do the fans want? Though I mentioned it, uh, I mentioned it a lot on the show about how. Uh, a lot of teams kind of find themselves in that no man's land. You know, I, I mentioned purgatory a lot of times is the, is the word that I use. You know, you look at teams, you know, in the West, for example, like Oklahoma City Thunder have been in there for a long time. The Timberwolves have been there for a long time. Teams that, you know, aren't good enough to make a run in the playoffs, but teams that aren't bad enough to get, you know, that higher draft pick. So are fans concerned that they might find themselves in this position, you know, come you know, even next year or even like two years from now? Like what what are the fans thinking about about that? Do they kind of want to see the Spurs uh, have a, a year or two more of, you know, a lesser season so they can continue to build up that roster around Wemby? Or do they want to kind of see a win now uh, team? Yeah, Spurs want to see a win now. I mean, last year was miserable for Spurs fans. You know, they knew that they were tanking, if, if we can use that word. And I hate that word. I hate that possibly it worked out. So, you know, it's hard to argue with it. But uh, it was a miserable season last year. I mean, it really was. Attendance was down. You know, people just weren't interested in all of that stuff. And then you get Wimbanyama, and now everybody thinks dynasty again. I mean, that's exactly the word that people are throwing around, um, it, that they think that this guy is the next guy that can bring them over the hop. It's going to be interesting to see because I think Spurs fans are going to be very patient this year. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm kind of in that 30 range with Spurs wins. I think they're going to have some growing pains as they feel each other out. What I'm interested to see, the Spurs have a lot of money to spend. They've got a lot of money. So I'm interested to see, and I think Pop wants to run with this group this year, but I think if he has an opportunity to bring in a vet or two next year, I think he'll grab that opportunity. And so I, the fans see that, uh, and while they're patient this year, I don't think they'll be patient for long. Um, and the expectation is that they will bring in some players that can help Victor Wimbanyama improve um, and, and get that veteran leadership around him. Because quite frankly, um, you know, uh, Doug McDermott's really the, the seasoned grizzled vet on this team. Everybody else is pretty young. Spurs are the youngest team in the NBA. So having that seasoned veteran or two come in, I think you'll see that next year when the Spurs are, become real players on the free agent market. So this year, to answer your question, I think Spurs fans are going to be very patient, but uh, that won't last going into next year. I think the expectation going into next season will be, let's get some players in here, let's compete, let's make the playoffs, and let's make a run. Yeah, I'm looking at um, a spot track right now that keeps track of all the you know uh, salary caps and uh, Spurs are one of the top five teams that you know, have space available. So, yeah. Um, so you expect a free agent to maybe, you know, come to, come to San Antonio next year. I mean, Wemben Yama obviously will be a huge, uh, you know, bait or a huge enticer for, for people to come. But fans are expecting a free agent to come maybe next year to San Antonio. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. And I think that's, the, you know, the final piece, if you will. You look at Tim Duncan and, and the attraction that he had for free agents. Uh, and some of the players that came here to play, Robert Ory is a good example. Uh, and you can go on and on with, with some of the guys that wanted to come here and play with him. You're going to see the same thing with Victor Wimbanyama. People are going to want to come here and play with him. Because, look, even even the players you know, marvel at what this guy can do. So the 
opportunity to play with somebody like that and be on his team and 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 mix with him, I think is going to be uh, very attractive to free agents. And the fact that the Spurs are going to have some money to spend. And I think what you got to look at this year are guys like Keldon Johnson, for example. Uh, I think this year Keldon Johnson's got to improve. He's got to take that next step. And if he doesn't, you know, I'm not saying he'll be gone, but there is that possibility that he could move on and go somewhere else. So I, I think, again, this is a feeling out year for Greg Popovich. I think he wants to see how these guys mesh together. But he knows as well as anybody, look, if you're the youngest team in the NBA, that's great. You're athletic. Uh, you know, you've got potential, but the heck with potential. This is professional sports, right? You win. That's what, that's the goal. That's what you want to do. So I think the Spurs will be players in the free agent pool next year. Um, as, as Wimby continues to grow. And I think we'll see that growth this year, but man, can you imagine going through another summer, another off season, uh, playing, uh, you know, basketball all year round this guy's going to continue to improve and look and that's why i tell people to be patient as much as this guy's played as much as uh, the the talent that he has and the things that he can do he's still playing against the best players in the world in the nba and that's something he hasn't done not to disparage or disrespect other leagues or whatever that he's done but the nba has assembled the best in the world not to mention the fact that all of a sudden the Spurs are circled on everybody else's calendar. I mean, everybody wants to play against this guy and say they're the guy that shut him down. They're the guy that slowed him down. So the Spurs are going to get everybody's best shot this year. So patience is going to be key for Spurs fans uh, this year, I think, as we watch the progression, we watch the growth. But I think it's next year and the year after that that uh, the Spurs fans are really going to get uh, impatient, if you will, and expect some great things out of this ball club. Has Women Yama already been coming out and saying the difference in talent between uh, the French league he was in and the NBA? Speed. You know, he hasn't, although he admits that he he admitted last night, which kind of surprised me as much as this guy's been around and is a big star and celebrity as he is. Uh, that, that he was going to be nervous going into last night's game. Look, any basketball player that's a pro, you want to get to this level. You want to. Um, you know, we saw Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving last night. Just, I mean, they're, they're, it shows you the talent right there. Those guys imposed their will at the end of that game and won that game for the Dallas Mavericks. That's the kind of talent that they're dealing with. But these guys have been in the league a while. They know the ins and outs. They know how to work the officials. Uh, and I think that's what Victor needs to learn. He admits, obviously, that the talent here is the best in the world. Uh, and, and he's looking forward to that challenge. And I think when, when you hear Victor talk, he says all the right things. I mean, this guy is a seasoned pro when it comes to the media. Uh, and, and that's a great thing. And I don't think he's making it up. I think he actually means it. He says what he, uh, what he means. But uh, uh, he's going to be just fine. He knows what he's up against. He knows how it's going to be night in and night out. And those little adjustments are going to come. Dealing with the officials. Dealing with the fact that I think some of the foul problems that he had last night were the fact that um, the NBA is just not a physical league anymore. Where he played in the French League, heck of a lot more physical than he's facing here in the NBA. It's more of a finesse, finesse league now 
And I think uh, some of the things that he did last night, some of the fouls that were called against him, um, maybe he got a little too physical, which is kind of surprising. But all of these things he's got to learn, and I think he will. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see the progression. That's a good point. I mean, even five years ago, ten years ago, he would have probably struggled in the NBA. I mean, it was it, that's a really good point, Joe. Much more physical than it was today. It's a lot more shooting base, a lot more uh, open space, and you know, a lot more passing heavy. You know, options. Mm -hmm. You know, concepts and things like that. So, I do want to get your thoughts, Joe. What do you think about this? Is not really a Spurs question in general, but what do you think about the play-in tournament? What are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you like it? Do you what? What do you, I mean? As a guy that covers the NBA, that likes the NBA, what do you? What are your thoughts on it? I don't really see the point of it, to be honest with you, but I haven't seen it. So I'm, I'm anxious to see it, see how the players respond to it. Um, you know, it's a gimmick to me is it from the NBA. They're trying to get some interest in a time where the NBA usually doesn't have a lot of interest. Right. I mean, you, you look at October, November, December. Really, for me, the NBA season starts Christmas Day. I mean, that, that's when it starts. So I see where Adam Silver's going with this, trying to find some interest and, and some, some things that uh, spur fans to watch uh, when they're not watching football. Um, so I, I get the point. I get the fact that he's trying to, to, to find something else. But I, I really don't see – I don't see the point of it. But I want to see it first and see what it's all about and see how the players respond to it and, and, and go from there. But if you're asking me now, I, I don't see the point. I'd just rather see them play basketball. Yeah, the players might like it. I mean, it's a little bit of a break. I mean, they get to go to Vegas, obviously. And, you know, it's, I'm sure it's going to be it's going to be more of like a, I can only imagine like an all-star game. They're not going to treat it as, you know, as as much as they do like a regular season game. But yeah, it'll be fun. It's going to make the team. It's going to make the league money any either way. So I don't really see it not coming back next year. I know. I think Adam Silver said it. he's going to try it for at least two years. When it, you know he's going to try it for this year and at least next year and kind of see how it goes. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Joe, I do want to. Uh, this has been awesome. I, I, I appreciate your time a lot. I do want to touch base on Dallas real fast. I know you know mm -hmm. you were you covered Dallas. You continue to cover Dallas uh, right now. Uh, Cowboys started the season off really, really hot. Still a really good team. Uh, definitely have flamed out a little bit. Uh, had a smacking on primetime against the 49ers. Mm -hmm. What are the fans thinking? Are they afraid that they might be slumping into their midseason form a little bit? Um, or are they kind of just looking at you know, the last couple of weeks as maybe like uh, just some roadblocks uh, that they have to get over? Yeah, I, I love Cowboy fans. I really do. For us in the media and, and what we do, they're great for business. I mean, they really are. Win, lose, or draw, the Cowboys, everybody's talking about them, especially uh, in this part of the world. Um, you know, Cowboy fans are up and down. It's a roller coaster. When they first started out and they were, you know, blasting everybody and the defense was playing good, it's Super Bowl. You know, there's no problems to historic defense, all of that kind of stuff. And then, obviously, they kind of stumble a little bit. And then San Francisco exposed them uh, as well. But I think the Cowboys have the making defensively, even with the injuries that they've suffered there with Trayvon Diggs and, and Leighton Vanderesh. But that defense is still pretty good. My concern, and most Cowboy fans' concern here, is, uh, is the offense. Um, you know, I think, I think Dak Prescott has been a little bit handcuffed. I think Mike McCarthy's got a little bit of a leash on him uh, as they transition into Mike McCarthy's offense. Dak looked uncomfortable to me. So I think they have an opportunity in the next, what, five or six games. The schedule's pretty easy with the exception of the Philadelphia Eagles. They've got the Rams coming up uh, on Sunday, uh, and then they've got the Eagles. And then after that, they've got some teams that they really should handle. 
so they've got an opportunity to pad the, the win-loss record before the, the schedule gets tougher again. Not only that, but to get their rhythm on offense. Uh, and I think that's going to be key over the next five games or so to see how that offense progresses um, and, and, and how it evolves. I mean, quite frankly, because I think that, uh, you know, there, there's some times Mike McCarthy uh, not going forward on fourth down or taking a shot at the end of a half. Uh, you know, how much trust does he have in his quarterback? You know, that's been a question. Uh, will that change? And so th the next five games or so are going are gonna to tell a lot, not discounting the Rams on Sunday, but certainly that Eagles game in Philadelphia uh, the week after is, is going to tell a lot. How good are the Cowboys and how can they compete against the upper echelon. San Francisco, they didn't do, do so well. Philadelphia, how are they going to do against them? That's going to tell a lot. It's almost encouraging that they did get beat so bad by San Francisco the first time because I don't think that's going to happen again. You know, <laughs> I don't think the Cowboys will, you know, whether, you know, when they play them again at some point, if they do, I don't think it's going to be that much of a, much of a blowout. And then, you know, it's hard to beat teams twice in the NFL. So that might actually work out for the Cowboys' favor. What I mean, the fans kind of I – mean, NFC, you can argue, is being better than even the AFC right now, which not many people would actually have considered or thought of before the start of the season. AFC is usually more the dominant league. I mean, are, I mean, what is, is is Super Bowl still kind of the expectation? Is is that still kind of the ceiling for for Dallas Cowboys fans? I mean, just, yeah, just no question. question. I mean, it's Super Bowl or bust. Is what it's been twenty eight years since they were in the Super Bowl and. Uh, that's a long time, and especially Cowboy fans are the most optimistic or arrogant, however you want to say it. And every year, it's the Super Bowl. This is the team that's going to go. And, um, yeah, I think at this point in time, uh, and, and, and especially Cowboy fans that aren't big fans of Jerry Jones, uh, they want to see what's going to happen. I mean, we've got the uh, the trade deadline coming up uh, uh, on Halloween. And, and so, you know, the Cowboys have said that they're not going to really be aggressive in that. And that kind of – you know, gets under the skin of Cowboy fans. They wish they would go out and try and make a splash. Um, I'm not sure that they will or not. I'll take Jerry at his word. He says they're not. So uh, unless something just rolls their way. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's definitely Super Bowl. Um, I, you know, it, it just comes into question when you, when you start looking at the Dallas Cowboys and whether the criticism is justified or not, is Dak Prescott the guy to get you there? Uh, is Tony Pollard, did they make a mistake of not – uh, get, uh, of not keeping Zeke Elliott or replacing him at least with a banger. Um, you know, that, that's, that's been a big criticism. C.D. Lamb up and down, had a great game the last time out. But, I mean, is he, is he really a number one guy? That's a big question. What happened to Michael Gallup? I mean, he seems to have fallen off the face of the earth. Um, Jalen Tolbert, they're, they're, you know, one of their top draft picks last year, ha has just not done it. So, you know, there's still a lot of questions for the Cowboys, still a lot of football to be played. But, man, um, the, the questions continue, and they will continue after every game. How the Cowboys go, that's how Cowboy fans are. They go in and, and, and smack the Rams around. Hey, it's Super Bowl again. If they struggle with the Rams, it's like, well, you know, what's wrong with Dak? What's wrong with this? So Cowboy fans are a very fickle bunch, that's for sure. That's what makes it a lot of fun, fellas. <laughs> uh, still, yeah, no. Uh, is that a is that a problem? I mean, are you? Because it seems like if you're, it's they kind of have the mentality of it's either us and nobody else. Like, do, do Dallas fans kind of uh, get annoyed by that? How everyone kind of does attack them so much? Because it seems like if it really does seem like from the national perspective, like outside looking in, if you're not if you're not one of us, like you're <laughs> against us. And how do the Dallas 
fans feel about that. I mean, me and Justin, for example, I mean, we're from Philadelphia, actually. So we're both we're both Eagles fans. And I, I hear I'm it. sorry to hear that, fellas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, after after the Phillies on uh, this past week. I uh, We always say, though, I mean, we care way more about Dallas fans than Dallas cares about us. I, I've heard that many, many times from many, many different people. It seems like Dallas fans, they seem loud, they seem obnoxious, but I don't think they actually are as people think they are and how the media portrays them. Am I, am I right when I say that? I think they kind of got a bad rap. Uh, maybe not quite as bad a rap as you think, because there are some arrogant cowboy fans. I mean, when it when it comes to Eagle fans, I mean, you guys know better than I do. Every time I've been to Philadelphia, it's uh, it's pretty rowdy there, and and that that makes it a lot of fun. And I know I know you guys have been disappointed over the last couple of years with the Phillies and and the Eagles and and some of your other teams as well. That they, they they get there and they just can't close the deal. Um, I love Philly fans. It's funny because we. Uh, we went to the Army-Navy game last year, mm-hmm. and Jalen Hurts was having a great year. Right? So we get in, a, in, a, in an Uber, and the, and, and, and the guy knows we're from Texas. He starts, we start talking football. And even then, in December, that Uber driver was, man, I just don't know about Jalen Hurts. Everybody here is just waiting for him to fall off the face of the earth. And, and, and obviously he didn't. He had a great year, and they go to the Super Bowl, and it was a great Super Bowl. Um, that's just fans. I, I don't know if fans are that much different anywhere you go. I mean, they're always expecting their guys, uh, the, the guys that wear their uniform, to be the best, to come through. And and I just think it's, it's, it's the same everywhere to a certain extent. Cowboy fans, that's what I deal with the most. Uh, they can be pretty arrogant. And they can be um, territorial, if you will. Like if I criticize Dak Prescott, which I've done quite a bit, I mean, people will fire back and say, hey, you know, that's our guy or, you know, they'll agree with me. So it's it, it, it all depends. But I think for the most part, wherever you go, fans are a lot the same when it comes to their team. Yeah, but especially in Philly, I think that people can say this. I mean, we wait for the other shoe to drop. We wait for, <laughs> you know, the Phillies to choke. I mean, Everybody was had high expectations here. Everybody was saying they're they're going to they're going to go to the World Series again. They're going to win the whole thing this time, but it didn't happen. So, you know, we jinxed it. I'll say that we. I mean, there's, there's some jinx. I involved. fell into that trap. You know, the, you watch the Phillies play, and I said, "This yeah. there's nobody going to beat this team." And then you get a little Arizona team that had uh, just a mediocre regular season that comes in, gets hot at the right time, and and that's what happens. You even look at the Texas Rangers uh, here. You know, we we were all thrilled here in, in Texas because you, know, you had an all Texas ALCS, so we were thrilled. It was a great series, seven games back and forth. Home team never won, <laughs> which is weird, but um, it, it's just funny. And that's you know that's the lo- that's the great thing about baseball. You just never know, man. And a team gets hot at the right time. Uh, and, and that's what you got to do under the current system that we're in. So I thought it was the Phillies too, guys. I really did, man. I thought the Phillies are going to be there. Who are they going to play? Is it the Astros again or, or will it be the Rangers? And so uh, maybe I was a part of that jinx. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Well, Joe, this is I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for coming on, talking some Spurs with us. Dallas, uh, you know. Got the Cowboys as well coming up. Rangers coming up too, obviously World Series. So that's something to look yeah. forward to as well. Anything you want to say about the Rangers? Uh, what you think? Well, you know, they're hot. 
Yeah. And so is Arizona. So I'm expecting a pretty good, uh, pretty good World Series. I don't know if anybody else around the country is going to going to really care about it, but uh, we're yeah. going to care about it here, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Friday night should it's be just, good. Just like everyone uh, drew it up before the season started, right? Uh, <laughs> Rangers, <laughs> Diamondbacks right. in the World Series. I think uh, you know, not a lot of people, if anyone, I think predicted that to happen. So. Yeah, no, exciting times. For, I mean, like I said, Dallas is still one of the best teams in the league. Rangers, obviously, yep. in the uh, in the World Series. So exciting times for you. And uh, we'll definitely have to do this again sometime and uh, touch base and talk some more, maybe like midway through the season, see how, see how the Spurs, see how women Yama's doing. Anytime, fellas. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Joe. We'll have to do this again, okay? We'll be in touch. Thanks Absolutely. for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, let's finish the show with our makers and fakers of the week. Justin, start us off. What is your maker of the week? Maker of the week for me is the Eagles' defense against the Miami Dolphins. And so far this year, the Eagles' defense, maybe outside of the Washington game, has been very, very underrated. Jalen Carter has made this defense much, much better. He is worth the ninth overall pick or the tenth overall pick. Actually, they traded down from 10 to 9 to get Carter. But he has made this defense better. Sean Desai, I think he's a very good defensive coordinator, and he might be a future head coach in this league soon. With See what's going on with D'Amico Ryans and some of the other defensive-minded coaches. I think defensive-minded coaches are flying under the radar. I know it's an offensive league. I know the offense is very vital, and quarterbacks are obviously very vital to this league now, but I think Sean Desai is is going to be my maker of the week. Really, the Eagles' defense in general, shutting down the league's number one offense. My maker of the week, uh, Jordan Addison. Thursday night football, but uh, not not uh, Thursday night football. Um, Monday night football. Excuse me. Vikings came away with a with a victory uh, against a you know really good San Francisco team. Obviously, best team in the league, probably. Jefferson out for a while with his injury. Addison stepped up in his absence, though. Seven receptions, 123 yards, and two touchdowns. When Jefferson comes back, this is going to be an awesome wide receiver duo. Jordan Addison has some hints of, you know, flashes last year, but, you know, coming up big on Monday Night Football when they needed him the most. Big reason why they won the game, beat 49ers. And, yeah, when Jefferson comes back, and even the even the weeks ahead before that, I'm – I'm excited to see Jordan Addison play and how he can progress, progress in the league and help the Vikings. Uh, yeah, help the help the Vikings out a little bit. Zach, what is your maker? Yeah, you actually took mine, but I'm gonna go with Bill Belichick, <laughs> the head coach of the New England Patriots, his 300th career win, one of the great coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time, and a terrific job he did this week against the Buffalo Bills. Thought of as one of the best teams in the AFC. Patriots are one and six. People have already counted them out of it. Well, he got Mac Jones to play his best game of the season. Their defense did a pretty good job. Up until the fourth quarter, the Bills are able to construe a couple of touchdown drives to take the lead. But Mac Jones goes down, wins it with Mike Kosicki. The Patriots are still a tough out. You know, they're two and six, but I don't think they're as bad as their two and six record indicates. But this is just a, another milestone for the guy that I think will go down, no question about it, as the greatest coach in NFL history. And for all the people that say, oh, the, it's time for the Patriots to fire Bill Belichick, there's a better chance Robert Kraft sells the franchise than fires Bill Belichick. That's what winning six Super Bowls will do for you. Well, Mike Vrabel was in the box this weekend and uh, 
Could there be tampering going on? I don't know. Well, I, he, think ta- I think Vrabel might be going might be going back to New England as, as the head. He coach. was just getting inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame. That's all it was. I think there's, but I still think there's a slight chance he's back in New England as the head coach. Maybe in a year or so. I, Bill has to leave. I mean, I agree, Zach. Bill is not going to get fired. He has to just. He's going to. It'll be up to him. Wants. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to – I don't think we'll get fired anytime soon. He might just have enough of it, to be completely honest. He might just be tired of losing because he's been winning for so long that he might just say, screw this, I'm tired of losing <laughs> eventually. And maybe maybe that, maybe hit their record, the Patriots record, will make the decision for him. Faker of the week, Justin, what is your faker of the well, week? Well, they'll prove it to me tonight, but for right now I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills losing that game in New England. This is a very disappointing team. So far this year, I know they're only four and three, but they should be three and four. That giant game, they 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 really should have lost to the Giants. If the Giants actually get a playoff and score a point, they lose that game. They they potentially lose that game. And losing to New England last week, the Bills just not just not the team they were the last few years. I don't believe they're a Super Bowl contender. My faker of the week, at least for now, is Brock Purdy. Um, really bad two last bad couple of weeks. Uh, the prior two weeks, Monday Night Football already talked about it. Minnesota, uh, they went into Minnesota. Minnesota was able to take away the victory. Really bad uh, interceptions in the fourth quarter uh, for San Francisco that ultimately ended up helping the Vikings come away with the victory. Uh, yeah, it played played bad the week prior to that too. Missing out on some. Offensive help, obviously Debo is out right now. It might be showing a little bit. It might be showing that, you know, if Debo's out, if he has some other offensive pieces that are hurt, uh, you know, obviously Cafferty was a little bit banged up as well. It might just come to show you that uh, maybe he's having some struggles without those offensive help, but we'll, we'll see. I think he's still an awesome quarterback. Uh, he might just not be a top three contender in the league after the after the last two weeks, but we'll see if he can bounce back, uh, you know, in the coming weeks ahead and, you know, kind of get back to that, MVP style uh, play that he was playing and get back in that MVP conversation uh, towards the uh, end stretch of the year. Zach, what is your faker of the week? Yeah, my faker of the week is Jim Harbaugh, and we're finally seeing the truth about Jim Harbaugh. We're seeing the fact that they're going out and going to all these games, you know, eight Ohio State games last year, five Georgia games. Like, I would love to go to eight Ohio State games, but I don't have the money to do so. And they have Connor Stallions, who you know is making fifty five thousand a year, and you know, of course, he could totally afford to go to all these games. That's perfectly normal behavior. But it's turning out that Michigan had a uh, budget for all of this stuff. The Washington Post put out an article yesterday, and when the Washington Post gets involved, I mean, this is the same company that broke Watergate. You're kind of done. And so I think Michigan is about to feel the wrath of the NCAA very quickly. I don't think Jim Harbaugh is coaching at Michigan next year. I believe the punishment is going to be levied on him rather than the players. And we're seeing, you know, what's happened over the last couple of years. Michigan before 2021, before all this started, Jim Harbaugh is winning games at a 68% clip. Now he's winning games at a 94% clip. Yeah, now we're starting to find out the reason why all this is going on. Jim Harbaugh is the faker of the week and probably the faker for the next couple of weeks until he doesn't have his job anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I talked about a little bit too with uh, – my complaint is before the interview, it looks really bad. 
you can argue that you can't afford all those games. I mean, he, like I said, he went the thirty. You just said too, Zach. He went the thirty games. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of money. Not only, I mean, the tickets are one thing, but the travel involved to go to those games. That's that's. And like, he just so happened money. to go to every game to a game involving every playoff contender last year, except for TCU. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What do you guys? Let, let, let's put on the uh, speculation hats. What do you guys? I mean, obviously, this is really bad for uh, hardball. Um, do you? I know we talked about it on actually last episode. We talked about this. Do you think this is what ultimately kicks him out of, or you know, gets him out of yeah. college? Mm-hmm. I think you know, he's either going to go the NFL or the NCAA is going to tell Michigan to get rid of him. I don't think he's coaching Michigan next year. Yeah, I don't think so either. Think- I think he's. I I think there's a chance he gets suspended during this year, but I I think he's going to leave at the end of the year, possibly go to the NFL. Do you, depending on how bad this gets, I mean. I know, Zach, you said it's going to probably come down on the coaching staff and not the players. Yes. But do you think Michigan might get any, you know, slap on – they might get any penalties? Oh, I certainly um, think it's on the table. I think, you know, because yeah. it's an administration issue as well. I think bowl bans on the table. I think, you know, vacating games is on the table. And it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of this season because I think there's a cloud hanging over them. And, you know, they are looked at as a national title contender with the Big Ten or the playoff committee – maybe punish them retroactively this season, that remains to be seen. Yeah. No, it's um, – I mean, yeah. But you don't think it's going to help – you don't think it's going to hurt him going to the NFL? No. Yeah, no. no. The NFL only cares about whether you can coach. He, <laughs> and he can. True. What team? Let, Chargers. Well, let's I think the, the Chargers question. are a potential yeah. team. And that's, I, I wouldn't say the Patriots just yet. Vrabel's probably going to go there. Who knows? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But great show, guys. Uh, we'll do it all again on Saturday. Still working out the guests. Um, but, yeah, we'll do it all again on Saturday and um, talk, you know, get you ready for NFL Week 8 coming up and some other storylines maybe to get, maybe get into the uh, NBA as well, uh, you know, a- after we have – close to a week under our belts in the in the uh, NBA I mean NBA so until then uh, we'll see you Saturday but keep on traveling